Our scripture this morning came from the Gospel according to John, the 13th chapter, and reading the 34th through the 35th verse. Jesus says to his disciples, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Yes. Discipleship is a disciplined process. Yes. It is a disciplined process of following Jesus. Far too often today, many people confuse being a member of a church with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But believe me, saints, when I tell you they are two very different things. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you have made the conscious decision to deny yourself of the things of this world that may bring you some kind of pleasure. I'm not just talking about your money or cars or fancy house or fine jewelry. I'm also talking about things like the need to get even with people or having things your way or doing what you want to do when you want to do it. Trying to be right all of the time, things like that as well. Being able to give up some of that stuff is what is required to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, if you agree with me, and I'm sure you do, you could give up your car pretty easily. You could give up your jewelry pretty easily. But ask you to give up that self-righteous part of you that makes you think that you know the answer to everything, even when someone is trying to correct you, is not so easy to give up. So being a disciple of Christ is very different than being a member of a church. Denying yourself and thinking about another person's need above your own is often the most difficult thing to do because looking out for yourself is actually easy and it comes very natural to you. One of the reasons why this tendency to, to look out for ourselves is so natural is because being selfish is tied to our innermost desire, and that is survival. Here's what we all say. I will never give you something that you need if it's going to cost me something. That is the essence of selfishness. I am not going to give you what you need if it's going to cost me more than I am willing to give up. In other words, hear me clearly. I love me more than I love you and sometimes even more than I love God. That's the height of selfishness and it is the essence of idolatry. <laughs> Jesus understood this basic characteristic of human beings. So he tells his disciples, if you love each other the way that I love you, then people will know 
that you are truly my disciples. It is with this thought in mind that I'd like to speak to you from the subject, a credible witness. A credible witness. As I stated before, there's a really big difference between being a member of a church or being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus had many followers as he walked the streets of Jerusalem. As Jesus was going around healing people, there was a lot of people that was following, following him everywhere that he went. You, listen, they just wanted to even touch the hem of his garment. People were always following Jesus around. But in spite of all of that, the Bible tells us that there was 12 that he called out. There were 12 that he, he pulled out of this great mass of people that was always around him. He pulled aside 12 people. These 12, they talked with Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They brought difficult things to Jesus, and Jesus was there to respond to them. They were there when Jesus healed the sick. These 12, they were, they were always there when Jesus raised the dead, or when he fed 5,000, or when he fed 4,000. They were there when he walked on water. They were there when he changed water into wine. They were there when he opened blind eyes, when he was casting out demons, when he even wept. They were there when he entertained children, saying, suffer the children to come unto me. They were there. They were there when he hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He, they were there even when he ate his last meal. This group of 12 was set apart and they were so closely associated with Jesus that even when he was being arrested, people would see them and say, aren't you one of the 12 that was part of Jesus' crew? Of course, we know that they denied it, but something about them identified them with the master even when he was not with them. You see, they hung out with Jesus for three and a half years and they couldn't help but look like him. They couldn't help but talk like him. You see, I say it all the time. You want to know how, who people really are? Look who they hang out with. Show me your company, and I'll show you who you are. So for three and a half years, these disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. And they spent not only a lot of time with Jesus, but they also spent a lot of time with each other. They spent so much time that you can imagine how they grew to not only depend on each other, but some of the fights that they may have as well. But the only reason why they were all spending all of this time hanging around Jesus was because something about Jesus and his ministry meant that they could survive. Something about Jesus' ministry indicated to all these people that without him, they would not be able to live. As a matter of fact, when he was crucified, and they, they all ran away scared because they thought it was their turn next. So the disciples knew that in order to survive, they needed to stay closely connected to Jesus. As I said, spending a lot of time with people eventually causes you to grow and to become like them. And you can sometimes get to the point where you almost finish each other's sentences. So because these disciples spent all this time with each, with each other and Jesus, when you saw a disciple, you knew one. So a disciple looks a whole lot different from a church member. Let me illustrate the difference this way in a way that we can all kind of relate. In the United States, we've as we shared even last time, people who are here legally are called citizens. That's what they are called. 
And as citizens, the government of the United States has a responsibility to provide safety and care for those who are citizens. Safety from all enemies, foreign and domestic. This responsibility that the government has to protect and care for the safety of its citizens require that they pull a certain group of people out of the society for the sole purpose of protecting the citizens. This special group we call the military. And they have a singular purpose of ensuring the safety of the people of this nation. The military force is made up of individuals that have been pulled out or called out or volunteered out of the general population of society and who have been sent away for a specific time period in a place that we call a boot camp. They're sent away for special training for a specific time period to be trained and developed. They are taught how to use multiple weapons and techniques that will be effective in dealing with enemies of the people. Special tools. This special group though, something interesting about them, they're not like other citizens. They have to obey every single command that comes from their superiors. They don't get to question it. They don't get to say, well, I don't like this commandment, and I don't like that commandment, so I'm going to do this commandment and not. They don't get that choice. Because if they try that, they become what? Court-martialed. Right? Are you still with me? So in their minds, they have been trained to know that obedience to the commands, no matter how silly they may be, can actually save people's lives. I'm talking about a special called out crew out of society that we call the military. Now, you do not need to walk onto a military base in order to identify military people. You see, whether you're Navy or Marines or Air Force or Army or whatever it is, you know them when you see them. <laughs> if you walk down the street and a military guy is walking, you know him or her. You know them. As a matter of fact, you, 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 you can easily identify them by their uniforms. But when they're not wearing their uniforms, you still know them. Something about them just look a little different than everybody else. You know them. It may be the haircut. It could be. But the thing that I like about knowing them when they are not in uniform or even not by their haircut is the way they walk. Sometimes the way they carry themselves. You could meet them and they're like, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. They sit a certain way. They, I'm just saying, they're just peculiar, different, unusual. And, and what's cool about them is if, for those who have been in the military, not me, but for those who have been in the military, if, and I've seen this, if a Marine is walking down the street and another Marine happens to be walking down the street, they know. And not only do they know, they give each other a certain level of respect. Now, it may be a salute or whatever. They know each other when they see them. And, and from, a, from, a, from a spiritual perspective, it's like saying spirits know spirits. Yes. Yes. 
So these called out people in, in, in this society who have been specially trained for a certain period of time, they know each other when they see each other, but everyone in society knows them. And when people in society sees military people, they feel what? Safe. I always say, you know, when I go to Jamaica, which is where I'm from, listen, I love Jamaica. But if stuff starts happening, I'm going straight to the U.S. Embassy with my passport because I want my own personal Marine. I ain't care if my accent is different. My passport says I get my own Marine. I want my own. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if the society that we live in gets to the place where when things start going awry in their lives, they want their personal disciple. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? So, so, so the point I'm making is the military folks, they know each other and you can tell them by the way they respond and treat each other. So Jesus, right after Judas leaves the table at the Last Supper, that would now begin the process to his own journey to the cross. The Last Supper has ended. Judas gets up and he's gone now to betray the Christ. Jesus now looks at his disciples and he says to them, listen dudes, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are mine if you love one another. You see, Jesus is saying, everyone will know that you are a Marine in my army because of how you treat each other. In the same way we can identify military people. But, 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 but there are three very important things, and we'll wrap this up, that I want you to get out of this little text that we're reviewing today. I want you to look at, I want to look at accountability, I want to look at expectations, and I want to look at friendship. Three very important things that I want to pull out of the text as we go through it. The first is accountability. Jesus says this, watch carefully. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. First of all, in the army of the Lord, this new commandment is not a request or a suggestion. It is a mandate. Your general says, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Now, the other piece of this that I'm curious about is, why is this new? Why would Jesus call this commandment new? In Matthew, the 22nd chapter and the 34th verse, we find these words. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, meaning Jesus, a question in order to test him. He said, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love thy neighbor as thyself, right? So Jesus said, this is the first and great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. These are clearly two commandments. But what I'm struggling with is 
The lawyer wanted to test Jesus. Jesus called this special group together that are his disciples, his military now, and he's got them in boot camp for three and a half years. He's about to go to the cross, and he's saying to them, I'm giving you now a new commandment. To me, the commandment sounds a lot like the ones I just named, which was already found in the book of Deuteronomy. So why is this new? Well, it's new for this reason. What I read to you before, it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to them then, everybody, love your neighbors as you love yourself. Jesus pulls out a small group of people, separate and apart from everybody else, and he says to them, listen, I told everybody, I'm paraphrasing to make you see what I'm talking about. He says, I told everybody else to love their neighbor as themselves. That's what I told everybody. But to you that I've pulled out, I'm telling you to love one another as I loved you. You see the difference? It's subtle. So the question becomes, how did Jesus love them? Sacrificially. So you see, when you get to the place where you believe that you are part of the called out ones, yes. separate and apart from everybody else in society, everybody's loving each other the way they love themselves. Yes. But for those who are in the military of the king, for those who are the disciples but not the members, you love each other as Christ loved you, not as how you love yourself. Because if you love people the way you love yourself, you will pick and choose who you want to love. But when you love people the way Jesus loved people, you now are willing to die for them. That's why Jesus called it a new commandment. It is new because everybody else does it that way. But for those who are disciples, this is the way you love. Do you see the difference? Church, I want you to understand that, that commandment one was love your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Commandment two is love your neighbor as yourself. Commandment three says love each other as I have loved you. And when you start to do that, people will see you and they know you military. People walk into the church Sunday after Sunday. People brand new would walk into a church service and they look at all the people assembled and they never been to that church before perhaps. But what will make them decide whether or not this is a church they want to connect themselves to is by how they observe everyone treating each other from the ushers all the way to the pulpit. If you come into a church that you ain't never been before and you see someone come over and say, you're in my seat, get on up out of here. You see that. You see people just throwing things all over the place. You see people treating people like garbage. You're going to say to yourself, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't want to join that army. They don't really love people the way Jesus said. I'm looking for a place. I'm looking for a church where people are going to love sacrificially, where people are going to love even if it means denying themselves. 
So you will know disciples when you see them. But let me move on. You see, Christ loved you and I with a sacrificial kind of love. It's a kind of love that lets you deny your own natural proclivities and desires for someone else's benefit. Forgive even the worst offenses that someone has done to you. That's different than the world. When you'd rather take the blame knowing that it's someone else's fault, not your own. You, you, you suffer shame even if it meant that someone else will be exalted. You would die for someone else. Now, I'm not telling you to go out there and kill yourself for anybody. What I'm telling you is I'm talking about an attitude that says, I care enough about you and your feelings and where you are than I am about protecting my own sense of self. Jesus did not need to die for anyone, but he chose to. He chose to. Jesus knew that the people he was dying for were the most ungrateful, unforgiving people you could ever imagine. He probably, some of the people, and I always like to think about this, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and they were all shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I can see that little brother right there saying, yeah, crucify him. Meanwhile, he forgot that it was Jesus who healed his mother. How ungrateful we are as a people. Every single one of us in here, Jesus has died for you. Every one of us in here, Jesus has protected you when you couldn't protect yourself. Jesus was there when your mother or your cousin or your sister or your uncle or your aunt or your grandparents were sick. And Jesus showed up and brought healing to their body when no one else could. No doctor could. No one could. Jesus could. And Jesus says to you now, come to me turn our backs on him because we've gotten all that we want. Church, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to simply say to you, you know if you're a disciple or a church member. Jesus says, no greater love is this that a man, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. If Jesus died for us, we're all wrong. All of us. But we can find in him, the opportunity to be credible in our witness. The second thing is expectation. What does Christ expect of us? Okay. As I shared with you before, he says this is a new commandment. But the question I want to know is, do you even really want to be a disciple? Let's be honest. I can tell you also all day long, yes, this is the difference between a disciple and this is the difference between a church member. But the reality is, most of us are probably comfortable being church members. You don't want to be a disciple. That may be you. Well, yeah. Maybe you're just satisfied with coming to church, sitting in your favorite seat, giving in the offering when you feel like it. The truth is, you give $5 or you give $20, no one knows because sometimes you cover up the money when you put it in the basket. I'm just saying, nobody knows. And you think, to yourself, at least people see me walking to the giving basket and not just sitting in the pews. Or maybe you always seem to need to go to the bathroom during offering time. Or even still, I can come to church and the preacher going to preach a good message and I can go home feeling like I did a good thing today. At least I came to church, so that must count for something with God. It's better than what my friends are doing right now. And I already made a big sacrifice because I could have been watching the game 
but I came to church. So God owes me. Maybe I'm here because I want to get my wife or my husband, my spouse, or someone nagging me, my parents, off my back. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe, maybe, maybe when you get here, hopefully the pastor will preach a short message so we don't got to be here all day and I can get out here early. Beloved, let me level with you. If you don't know by now, you know I'm a straight shooting pastor. I keeps it real. But let me level with you, beloved. Ain't nobody watching what you're giving. Ain't nobody care. Whether you get up or you don't get up, we ain't care. It's all in your head. You're only fooling yourself. God is not out there trying to get you. Whatever your reasons are for being here, it's more about the grace of God in your life than what you think someone else is pressuring you to do. Ain't nobody care. I don't know from Adam what you give, what you didn't give, whether you got up or not. As a matter of fact, when the worship team's up here singing, I'm singing with them. I ain't looking at who's doing what. It's all in your head. Listen, you know you. And you are the only one condemning you. Because I ain't doing it. And none of the leaders in this church are doing it either. But thank God you were able to wake up this morning in your right mind. Thank God you were able to dress yourself by yourself. And not someone else dressing you. Thank God that you're not incarcerated right now because you may have gotten away with some careless behavior last night. Thank God that she is still with you after how you've treated her. And all she wants is for you to go to church with her or him. Thank God he came to church and even wants to come. Thank God that you got another chance to get it together. God is not expecting your money. God is not expecting your life. God is expecting your heart. That's it. Your heart. And if you are honest, listen, we, we all know, if you are honest with yourself that you have given your best to God, that's good enough for all of us. And all we're going to pray for is that God opens up the windows of heaven and bless you for blessing him and being a blessing to your people, to his people. How you treat people in the house of God is how we will know if you're truly God's disciple. Sister Yvette comes to you and asks you to do A, B, or C, and you... You could do that. But believe me, we're going to find someone else who's willing. So it's between you and God. Because your heart is not in the right place anyway. So if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk in your witness. Finally, friendship. Finally, friendship. The model of friendship is best summarized as a heart that is tender towards other people. I'm taking this a little bit outside of the context of the scripture, but I really want to make this universally applicable to everyone because I think that we're in a time where it's going to be more important that we treat each other with the level of dignity and respect that we all deserve. We're not going to wait for other communities to take care of us. 
we can do it ourselves. But we must be careful of what we do. So here's what I'm saying. Perhaps you do not want to be a disciple. Perhaps you do not have it in you to make such a commitment because you're afraid of what it will cost. And believe me, it is going to cost you something. It may cost you your pride. It may cost you your ego, your sense of self-respect, or even your dignity. But rest assured that it will never cost you anything more than what it cost Jesus himself. Listen, what Jesus did is the greatest thing that anyone could ever do for anybody else. And even if you think you're giving up your sleep on a Sunday morning, it ain't hardly close to what Jesus has done for us. But it's going to cost you something. I love Jesus, if you can't tell already. Jesus is the hero in every one of my sermons, right, Mother Andrea? I ain't talk about me, I talk about Jesus. He is the greatest thing since sliced bread, peanut butter, and jelly on rye toast. I'm just saying, Jesus is all that and a bag of chips. He can move mountains in my life. He can do for me what I can't do for myself. He can bring the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I'm telling you, Jesus is just that good. And I love Jesus. He means more to me than anything in this world. And serving him is my privilege. And I'm reminded that as ugly as you sometimes are to me, I'm going to love you because I have to remember that Jesus died for you too. And that makes all the difference in the world, whether I like you today or not. I love you every day. I don't like you every day. But I'll die for you every day. Because that's what I've been called to do. So let me give you this model of friendship and then we'll close. Many of you have probably heard this story before. I'll paraphrase it real quickly. There was a little girl who couldn't control her temper. And her mother gave her a bag of nails. Some of you have heard this story before. Her mother gave her a bag of nails and say, every time you get angry, hammer one of those nails into the fence. Every time you get angry. So the little girl, you know, she would have her nails and she was getting mad, so she goes to the fence. Bam, 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 bam. Something else makes her mad. Bam, 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 bam. She come to church and the pastor didn't say hi to her. Bam, 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 bam. All the reasons you can think about. And, she, and the more she did it, she got through the whole bag. <laughs> but she noticed that after a while, she didn't need to hammer the nails anymore into the fence because she had a way to control her anger. So she ran to her mother and she said, Mom, look, I'm not angry anymore. And her mother was so proud of her. And her mother said, OK, here's what I want you to do now. Go now take out all of those nails. The girl went now and she started pulling out all the nails. And she proud as a peacock. Mama took out all the nails. Her mother said, well done, my daughter. But look at all the holes in that fence. The fence will never, ever be the same again. When you say things in anger to people that you do not necessarily mean in the moment, it's just like hammering a nail in their soul. Now, you can go and say, I'm sorry, and you can ask for forgiveness, and you can do all of those things, which is taking out the nail. But you would have left a scar in that person forever. Now, the wound may be healed over time, 
But the fact of the matter is that the scar is still there. My friends, you are jewels in God's kingdom. When God blew the breath of life into each and every one of your nostrils, it meant that you have a value to God that is far greater than I can even know or appreciate. And how I treat you is the same as me saying, Lord, this is how I treat you. Because every one of you carry in your souls the love of God and the spirit of God. And if I can imagine that if this is the way I'm treating you, would I really want to treat Jesus that way? And you know the answer is no. So I'm telling you, while you may not be able to control all of your impulses, try. Try to do better. Try to live better with people. Try to talk differently to people. Try to be respectful to people in some way. Yes, you have a right to be angry, but be angry and what? Sin not. Because some scars can never ever be healed by you simply saying, I am sorry. This is the model of friendship that Jesus has for us. It's saying, I regret that I hurt you. You did something to me that I did not like. You embarrassed me in front of everyone. You made me feel like I was a nobody. You forgot to say thank you when I gave you everything that I had. You offended me greatly. You ruined my celebration. You bullied me. You made fun of me on the playground. You laughed at me. You told me I was nothing. You said I would be nothing. You did not give me a chance. You yelled at me. You said things to me that were inappropriate. You never kept your promise. You said you would never leave me. You said you would try hard. You said you would be here and on time. You said you would love me, but you didn't. But I love you anyway. I love you anyway because I know in my heart that there were times when I hurt you, when I did something that you did not like, when I embarrassed you in front of everyone, when I made you feel like you were nobody, when I too forgot to say thank you when you gave me everything that you had, when I offended you greatly, when I ruined your celebration, when I bullied you and made fun of you on the playground, when I laughed at you, when I told you that you were nothing and that you would be nothing, when I did not give you a chance, when I yelled at you and said things to you that were inappropriate, when I did not keep my promise, when I left you and when I said I would be here and on time. I regret now how I have hurt you. Please forgive me because I need you to love me again the way that Christ loves you. This is the model of friendship, church, that I'm telling you. It is coming down off your high horse and saying to yourself and finding the humility to say, you know what? I really messed up. Ain't nobody expecting you to be perfect, but when you're wrong, you're wrong. This is the model of friendship. Forgiving offenses, knowing that you too needed your offenses forgiven. Then, and only then, are you ready to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. By going to the cross, Jesus was accountable to God the Father. He met the expectations required of him, and you and I could have no better friend than Jesus himself. Likewise, brothers and sisters, you are accountable to God and to each other. And Christ expects us 
to love each other in the true spirit of friendship. But it starts with us. And by doing this, we will have demonstrated that we are, in fact, credible witnesses. As I wrap this up, I want to go back to the text very briefly. Because I don't know who needed to hear this. I don't know who's got relationships that have fallen apart. I don't even know if you even care to mend those relationships that you have broken. But listen to me very carefully, every single person at the sound of my voice. You will not hear me clearly, and I'm gonna say this as emphatically as I can. You will not get all that you want from God, all that you're looking for from Christ until you go and make peace with your brother in the faith. I don't care what you bring to the altar. Jesus says, leave your stuff here and go make peace. You have hurt somebody. I'm not talking about who has hurt you. You have hurt somebody and you know it. And I'm telling you, go and fix it. Suffer yourself to fall on your own sword and say, I shouldn't have done it. I have hurt you. I regret it. And I am sorry. Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, he must first deny himself. Take up your cross. The hard thing for you to do and to follow me. It may be that you need to go to your children and tell them, I messed up. It may be that you need to go to your friend. I messed up. It may be that you need to go to your spouse or even a church member who you serve with in the usher board, who you serve with on the choir stand, who you serve with in the ministerial staff, who you serve with on your job. What I am telling you is that it makes no sense you come to this church, this church, hear a message like this and leave the same way you came in. You would have wasted God's time. I call it like it is, church. And I tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear, because I want you to get all that God has for you. So, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I'm telling you, church, that I may have let you down. I may have done something to you that you didn't really like. I'm opening the door and saying, come to me and tell me how I have hurt you. Tell me how I have failed you because I want you to release me so I can get all I need from God. It's important it is important God wants to give you his very best but you must become a credible witness so here I am signed up for duty 
in God's military. And if you want to join me, you are welcome in his army. Everyone standing at this time. Thank you.